couple of quick add-ons here before we get into our Bible study. Um, uh, last week we introduced Compassion International and had you pray about it this week and just see if God would have you sponsor a child and there will be someone back there to answer any of your questions. Um, this ministry has been a, just a real simple thing in our family, but um, just a real joy to, to minister to kids that normally we wouldn't have the opportunity to minister to. So go ahead and at least find out a little bit more about the ministry. This will be the last week that we have the table set up. And then, um, and then all you teen well, the teens are gone, but, uh, well, I won't even make the announcement now. Okay, forget that one. Okay, First John. We're in a book study right now uh, looking at John's letter. Here, First John, he has three letters, and uh, the first one being the longest of them. And John is known as the Apostle of Love. And when we did our introduction, God, Jesus did such a work in John's life because we first are introduced to John and James, his brother, who, when Jesus asked them to be his disciples and come follow them, they were wanting to bring fire down on people's fire down from heaven for those who rejected Christ. And so it kind of gives you an idea of his character before Jesus got a hold of his life because the transformative work of Jesus in his life and the gospel in his life has brought him to being just, uh, you know, church historians. You know, they speak of... uh, uh, John is just his countenance, and, and he, he was truly the most loved. He's known as the most loving of all these, the apostles. And so we've been charting through this second chapter, and this whole chapter is explaining the way you know that you really have a relationship with God. It, it gives us some meters to look at in our love for God and our love for one another, and it's impossible... When, when, when we're given the gospel, then we now live life through the lens of the gospel. We live life, we look at ourselves through that lens. We look at God through that lens. We look at our future through that lens. And the byproduct is love. So I want to uh, look at verses 18 through 29. The title of the message is Abiding, because John continues on that theme. Let's look in verse 18. Little children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. This is God's word. Several times throughout this passage, we see John writing to the church, and he's he's explaining a theme that was taught to him by Jesus. There's a correlation, and I'm going to refer to it later on in this study, between what Jesus was teaching his disciples of what it really meant to be in him. And it's in John chapter 15. It's actually John's gospel where, where Jesus says, I am, you're just branches off of me and, and I am the true vine. And really when you come to me, you're connected with me and the same life that is in me will come into you and through your life. And he uses this agrarian example, illustration, to teach John about what it means to abide in him. So we see John taking this lesson of Jesus and now encouraging the church in this letter. The word abide in the, in the original, it's the Greek word meno, and it means liter- literally to stay, to remain, or to be at home in. When we speak of abiding in Christ, it's we're at home in him and he's at home in us. It's a, there's a, a dual abiding. He's in us. And when Jesus taught his disciples, he says, you're in me just as I am with the Father. You're with me and we are all one. And abiding speaks of a true unity. It speaks of an intimacy. It speaks of a dependence. It speaks of a true union and true communion. So I want to break apart this passage in three ways, looking at abiding. Number one, abiding is knowing that you know. And secondly, abiding is remembering the scope of the gospel. And lastly, to abide is to thrive. So let's look at that. Abiding is knowing that you know. Look in verse 18. He's talking about these truths of which you already know. And he's speaking to the church that you've heard the gospel and you know these truths and now it's time to walk in them because not everyone is walking in them. And actually, this word to know or this phrase is actually used over 30 times in this very short letter, in this little letter. John is constantly saying, you, you know this. You know what is right. You, you know what is true. So walk in it. Abide in it. You, and the message here is that you can know. And I know a lot of people that live in a, a, a Christian walk. A, a, you know, they attend church and they call themselves Christian, but they, they always live in a sense of uncertainty, a, a sense of not really knowing, not really certain. But that's what the gospel does. The gospel gives us a certainty that we know where we stand with God. We know where we're at with him. And we're always going to be growing in that. We will never arrive to a plateau where we will not continue to know more of what that means and the implications of the gospel. But what John is saying is that you can know. And maybe you're here today and you just 
you know a lot mentally about God or about the Bible, but do you know him? And that's what John is saying here. Because there's two words used in the New Testament for this word know. That's gnosis, which is G-N-O-S-I-S, which means knowledge. Gnosis speaks of a mental knowledge. And John is actually addressing the very first heresy that was starting to creep into the church of Gnosticism, which is... Uh, it's brilliant in his writing because he's addressing the heretical teaching going on of these uh, of this group, saying that Jesus, basically denying, not to get too much into it this morning, but denying the incarnation of Christ, the humanity of Christ. And so they were kind of an elitist group, bringing others along with them and taking them away from the simplicity of the gospel. But the word that's being used here by John is a different word than that. It's ginosko. And it means to know, to understand, quite literally, to know by experience. And I want us to understand that. Because the Christian life, life in the gospel, life in Christ, abiding in him, is not only knowing about him, but it's experiencing God. God wants us to experience him in our daily lives. And when we are abiding him, what we discover here is that it is an experience. This passage here teaches us kind of the doctrine of doctrine, because we need sound doctrine. But what John is, he's he's kind of backing up that we need a doctrine of doctrine, that there is a truth, that there is an uh, irreducible core of truth that is embodied in Jesus Christ, and it's that Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. That's the truth. So he's saying, this is the truth that you're to know and that you're to experience. And there's those who have rejected that truth. There are some that left for a reason, and that reason is they've rejected the truth. It's important, John is saying, what we believe. And a lot of people say, well, what's really important is how you live, which is very important. But it's very important what you believe. What you believe matters. And he says here, notice, that there are people leaving the church. When he talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, it doesn't take a real uh, strong explanation. It's exactly what it is. Antichrist. That a teaching or a an idea or a mentality that is contrary to the Jesus of the Bible. That is contrary to what the scriptures show us about who Jesus Christ is. And that's what he said, you know, if you notice there's a Antichrist with the capital A, and someday there will be an Antichrist. We see that as being, you know, the ultimate, you know, world leader, right? That will basically be ultimately against Christ. But there's a spirit of the Antichrist. And that is a spirit that is in the verses before that we studied last week of the pride of life, of pride and arrogance, and we become our own God, and why do we need Jesus Christ? And you see that there are those who, they're leaving the church for a reason. It's because they're rejecting the truth. This is not a growing church that John is writing to, and it's not bothering John, because he knows that Having truth is important. That that truth will ultimately bring growth to the kingdom of God. And it's important that the truth be, be maintained for the church to grow. 
But not everyone wants the truth. I think of that scripture in Job 24, verse 13. It says, There are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways, nor abide in its paths. And John is saying the light has come. The light is Jesus. The light is not something we turn on. The light is someone someone we look to. It's not an it. It's a who. It's a him. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And he is with us. That's the light. The light of the gospel. To put, you know, there's that common phrase that, you know, you, you say to put earth prior to heaven, you get neither, right? But if you put heaven prior to earth, you get both. You know, when we look to the earth for our answers or the, this world for our answers, and a person that does that, that's that antichrist will get neither. <laughs> but when we look to heaven, the scriptures teach that we get both. We get heaven and we get heaven we get the kingdom of god in this earth and we can enjoy and obtain both and that's the that's the same concept to what john is saying he's saying if you put growth prior to truth you'll get neither but if you put truth over growth you'll get both because the growth that we want is real fruit and real fruit only comes through abiding in Jesus Christ. You know, there's there can be fake fruit. You know, I was at Terry's yesterday. We had a great time. And, uh, you know, I almost ate one of those apples, but they're plastic, you know. They've, and there's we're fruit inspectors. And only the truth can produce real fruit for the kingdom. See, we have to be in it for the long haul. The powerful church is a church is when it's a bunch of people who embody the truth and ultimately there will be growth. Because when a church is at its best is when a church is a bunch of people who are getting it. They're understanding the gospel and they're understanding the good news of the gospel and they're being changed and it leads to a natural, uh, not contrived, going out, missional living and taking that message to other people. That's what abiding in Christ is. And it all starts by the kernel of truth that is in Jesus Christ, that is Jesus Christ. And the important thing is to prioritize truth. Most spiritual journeys, when you talk about a person on a spiritual journey, it has to do with an experiential pattern, which is good. And what John is saying by using this word is our spiritual journey with God, our growing in Him, should be experiential. He wants us to experience him in that journey. But it's not experience at the cost of truth. It's an experience that has been brought to fruition by the truth. So he says, you know this and you can know this. Part of abiding in Christ is knowing that you know. And we know Jesus by experience. We bring him in. We invite him in into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, into our trials, into our valleys, into our successes. We invite Jesus into everything and we begin to experience Jesus Christ. Think of that. It's a relationship. Jesus told his disciples, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. And you can walk with him. And you can relate with him. And only, only the gospel can provide that for any person. We don't look back at a great man or a great prophet. We look to 
the, the current presence and the eternal presence of Jesus Christ who's alive and he loves you. And he wants you to know him and he wants you to experience him. That is abiding in him. And John says here that uh, he's calling a person a liar, but he, look at the context of that in verse 22. He's calling a person a liar, not so much referring to a person that tells lies, right? But that is a liar. He, he's speaking to a broader condition. And the broader condition here is a person is a liar, someone that knows the truth, but decides to deny it, but decides to reject the truth. That's a, a person who knows it, but they don't abide in it. And they're not true to themselves. They're rejecting the, the truth that, has, uh, that would give them life in the first place. You know, kids hate medicine, Right? They hate medicine. So the pharmaceutical companies got together and they try, they make now medicine that tastes like candy and looks like candy. So now the kid will take them, the child will take the medicine. So to the child, in the mind, it's candy, but to the body, it, it knows it as medicine. It does its job. And that's the gospel. When we look around and we see the beauty of the mountains and the, the, the beauty of God's creation. Or you might go to a movie, right? And the, mo- we, the movie themes are basically all the same, right? You have a heroine and you have a, a villain and, and the heroine comes through and it makes us feel good. And we go, that's good. You know, the good guy won. And these are all messages. Or we go to a romantic movie and, you know, the, the girl reaches out in her grace and loves the, the, the frog, you know, the beauty and the beast, all these themes of life. We really want a Superman. We want to think that there's a Superman. That's why little kids love Superman, because we want to see a Superman. We want to, we, we wish we could really fly, right? We go to a movie, we wish that the beauty would kiss me. And the beauty would accept me. These are just deep, um, they're intrinsic uh, aspects that people have that all point to the gospel. And so for a person to go through this life, and the romance of life, and the, uh, and the adventures of life, and the beauty of life, and the beauty of God's creation, and take all of that and then deny it, is to live a lie. Because you're rejecting the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. Because all stories... All scripts, all narratives of this world point to Jesus Christ. And, and to deny that is to lie to yourself. An atheist has to constantly remind himself and convince himself that there is no God. Why? Because God is all around us. He's everywhere. And it's hard work being an atheist. And that's what John is referring to. Jesus, the, the person, the, the Superman that we want, the, the victor that we want, that we're looking to, the, the beauty that we were charged by is all in Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of that. Jesus took the myth, he took the story, and he became the fulfillment of that story. He's the fulfillment of the narrative of the Bible. He's the fulfillment of the narrative of life. It's in Jesus Christ. And to deny that is to lie to yourself. And he says here, to have that, then there's a contrast. 
So to deny it is to lie to yourself, but to have it means that you have the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about when he says you have this anointing? He's talking about it's the presence of God. It's it's not just a mental assent to who God is, but it's it's the God living in in you, giving you power to live, giving you victory in your life, blessing you. Um, when the Holy Spirit moves in us and lives in us, it transforms us, it warms us, it blesses us. And what he's saying here is that you have that. To know the truth leads you in. You, you, have, you have the same access to God that I have. No one has privileged access to God. Billy Graham doesn't have some like special, you know, prayer room that he goes in and God answers all his prayers. But you know, you got to kind of, you know, just hope God will give you the time of day. No, every one of us, we have the same access to God through Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit that empowers Billy Graham and empowers me, empowers you, lives in you. And we're all on the same level. There's not one man that has some higher spiritual level. We're all sinners, saved by grace. And when we turn to Jesus Christ by faith, and we believe in the gospel, he comes and he makes his home in our heart. And we're all at the same place. And John, see, he's addressing this elitism that was going in and these people who were kind of pulling others away from the simplicity that is in Christ. The idea was, is, you know, I've got all this knowledge, you should come and, you know, come to my group or whatever and learn what I have to say. And there was pride in the knowledge that they had, There's some special knowledge. But what John is saying, no, you have the anointing. You don't actually need anybody really to teach you. It, because it's the Holy Spirit that teaches you. I'm not some guru up here. I don't have it all together. I'm just like you. I'm just a man that is trying to see Jesus a little more clearly today and tomorrow. Uh, just a man that wants to open up the scriptures and see, see him in it. We're all the same. And so when we gather together, and I open up the iPad, <laughs> and we study the scriptures, we're all seeking the scriptures together. Do you know that I preach in a mirror? It's not like I'm up here telling you how to live. I am. There's a mirror right in front of me. These are all truths that I need just as much as you need. And the same anointing that God has given me, he's given you. You all have that anointing. You all have, the, those of you who are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to everyone. And we all have that equal access to God. Isn't that cool? That you can have church tomorrow morning. You can sit down with your Bible and experience Jesus. Just like we experience Jesus in those songs. You can experience Jesus tomorrow and the next day. And that's what he's called us to. So it's remembering, abiding is remembering the scope of the gospel. It's remembering these things. John remembers. If you look throughout this letter, he's reflecting on walking with Jesus. 
and he's trying to pass on these truths. He's remembering and he's cultivating in his own heart and he's communicating his remembrance of being with Jesus, remembering God's faithfulness in his life, remembering scriptures that ministered uh, to him. That's what abiding in Christ is. You remember these things. You remember when God answered that prayer. You remember the things that God has shown you. You remember when God was gracious to you. You, you remember how God got you out of that mess. You, rem- you remember, you reflect. That's part of abiding. Remembrance. Throughout the Old Testament, God always called his people when he did something great in his, in their life. He always said, I want you to, uh, you know, build something here or have a meal or have a feast. And the, it's something tangible that you participate in, that you, you know, eating is an experience. And the better the food, the better the experience. And throughout the Old Testament, you see, when God says, I want you to remember this miracle. I want you to remember when I delivered you out of this situation by eating, (laughs) by feasting together. I love that about God. Because I want you to experience, and communion is an experience. You physically take the bread, you physically take the cup so that you remember, and that's abiding, is remembering. It's kind of going, oh yeah, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know where to go in life, go back and reinvest in your heart and mind what you do know. Draw from the truths that you do know, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right, that's true about God. See, remembering the scope of the gospel and remembering that if ever you forget about the love of God or if ever you're thinking, gosh, I'm just such a loser. Does God love me? He'd say, just just look at the cross. Whenever you forget, if, God, how much do you love me? Look at the cross. That's how much God loves you. And that will not change. And abiding is reminding ourselves of these things. We cultivate and grow in the gospel. Our hearts grow. We grow in where we came from, and we we grow in the knowledge of where we're going. We remember where we came from, and we remind ourselves of where we're going. In verse 28, he says, When we abide in him, the life that is abiding in Christ is the confident life. He says that we will have confidence. And actually in the original, it means freedom of speech. I love that. There's some people that in my life that when I hang out with them, I'm like, you are like Jesus. Because they're abiding in Christ. When you abide in him, you become more like Jesus. You become more like Christ. And I have some people, I'm blessed with some friendships where, you know, I feel not like Jesus around them, but they, they exude the presence of God. They exude the Holy Spirit in their love, right? And they're, they're like him. And I love that phrase, freedom of speech, because when I get around people that exude the life and love of Jesus Christ, it makes me want to be real. It makes me want to be honest. It, it just naturally allows me to drop my guard. And that is one sign of becoming more like him, that people come to you and they share the things that are going on because they know that the response that they're going to get is going to be like Jesus. Jesus loves you. He's not going to crush you, 
get, you know, you did what? Get out of here, you know. We come to him with our issues and our struggles. And he just says, see these holes in my hands. I took all that for you so that you don't have to take the penalty for these things. When I think of being around Jesus, I think of being with someone where I can be just who I am. And I can share everything that's just on my heart. We have confidence before him, the freedom of speech. And every one of our hearts is crying out for just that. Yearning for that kind of relationship with somebody. We're trying to find that in, that, in this life. We're trying to build friendships. We're trying to have a marriage where we can be ourselves, where we can let down our guard. It's a part of every human, whether you know Jesus or not know it. But it's ultimately fulfilled when we get to know Jesus. Because I'd like to, I, when I think of him, I just think of, you know, I can't wait to see him face to face. And the countenance of his face and his eyes. And, and, and what John is saying is that when you abide in him, you look forward to that. We have confidence. Not shrinking back, he says. You know, it's like, how do you feel like when you're in school and the principal calls for you? It's the opposite of what John is talking about, right? You're you're walking down the hall and you're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of the discipline that awaits you. You're shrinking, but there is no confidence and you're shrinking back. And some of us, some people have that with God. The idea of God calling them by name is, oh no, what have I done now? And what John is saying is that the gospel turns that around. Where we long for him. We, we, we desire him when we discover his love. And there's no other way but to abide in Christ. This life is simply a preparation for heaven. This life is simply... a. a a time where God's preparing our hearts so that when we see him, we'll know who he is. To remember that is to abide. Okay, lastly, to abide is to thrive. That's what John is saying. To abide is to live life. This is consistent with, John, with uh, Jesus' teaching. Um, I think of John 15. At the beginning of that whole illustration that he's giving, he's saying, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The the point there is he's saying, I'm the vine. The way to have life and be fruitful is be connected to me. And my father, he's the vine dresser. What the vine dresser would do would take care of those precious grapes as they, they needed to become mature so that they could be made into wine. You know, those big clusters of grapes back in that day were clusters of about 80 or so grapes. And when they were fully mature uh, in, in the vineyards, the, these clusters of grapes would sag down into the mud and when it would rain. And the vine dresser would have to go and take these clusters and wash these clusters of grapes. And go through and take out all the dead stuff and to prune these branches. And when the harvest came, they would go and they'd prune. Pruning is not fun. <laughs> Being pruned, I'm sure that, that, that 
that vine says, hey, I can't wait for the vine dresser to come cut some pieces off of me. But we must be pruned. Things must be taken away in order for God to bring even greater fruitfulness in our lives. And we look at events or, or things we've looked to and, and really desired in our life and they've been taken away from us. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a, a, a dream that you've had. We go, God, why? And he's saying, when you abide in me, I prune things because I'm having drawing you into greater fruitfulness in your life. I'm preparing you for heaven. And I love that illustration of God being that vine dresser because that's what he does. He comes along and we're down there in the mud and he gently picks us up and he washes us off with his love and with his word. He prunes us so that we'll bear more fruit. You know, um, We have chaff in our lives, <laughs> all of us. And when we abide in Christ, he's faithful to take care of that chaff in our life. We have aspects of our mentality that are built on things that are just going to burn up. They're, just gonna, they're not going to be around in heaven. And so God is preparing us, and it's a good work. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. It's a work, but it's a good work. It's a process, but it's a good process. And in that same, if you go down a little bit further in that John 15, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. I love that. He's saying, this whole process, abiding in me, is so that you will have the fullness of joy. Remember in the first chapter of John, he echoes those words of Jesus and says, the whole point of this letter is because I want you to be happy and I want you to be full of joy and I want you to live a life where nothing in this world can take that joy away from you. It comes in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. To abide in him speaks of a union and a union needs to be maintained. Think of a marriage. A marriage is a, a union. And so in order for that marriage to progress and to mature, it has to be maintained. You have to work at it. You have to allow some of the dead stuff to come out of your life. You have to be pruned. And when you look at the... Paul refers to marriage as the great mystery between... He likens it to Christ and the church. There are all these analogies, but it's the same truth. It's the, it's the core issue of what God is doing in our lives. He hasn't left us alone. He hasn't abandoned us. Quite the contrary, he is developing us. It's a living union, meaning that we bear fruit. It's a loving union, meaning that we enjoy him and have joy. It's a lasting union, meaning that we, never, we don't have to be afraid. And it's a union that will last for all eternity. Fruit is simply just that. It's not a test. Fruit is not a test that to, to be taken and you get graded on. Fruit is simply a byproduct. And there's no way for an apple tree branch to bear apples unless it's connected to the tree. That's fruit. That's bearing fruit. A machine can produce produce results, but only a living 
organism can pr- produce fruit. You look at a tree, a fruit tree, right? In its due season, what does it do? It bears fruit. And we want that fruit. <laughs> you know, in Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness. We look at that list, we go, how do I get that? I want that. I want patience. I want joy. That's what I need. I don't need that new car. I need peace. I don't need that new whatever. I, You know, if I have these things, I've got it all. How do I get it? And John is telling us, just abide in Christ. Stop striving. Stop trying to impress God. You don't see that fruit tree, you know, when it comes time to get the apples out, you know, stressing and, you know, sweating and working hard. It just, they just come. And walking with, abiding in Christ is a walk with Him and spending time with Him where we just abide. Stop striving, abide, and you will thrive. And all of a sudden, you're going to see a little patience come out. Where two years ago, man, I would have clobbered that guy, but now it's like, bloop, what's that right there? It's a little patience fruit right there. And a little little joy, bloop, right there. Where'd that come from? Gosh, normally I would be just stressing out, not sleeping, but I'm actually kind of full of joy, even though it's not working out for me in this situation. Little peace, boop, you know, where'd that come from? I'm not worried about this at all. God's going to take care of it. God's going to work it out. It's just a simple byproduct of abiding in him. And the fruit just comes. There's no way you can, there's no other way to get this character into your life. And to abide in Christ, it, it begins with the truth of who Jesus is. The truth of what Jesus has done for us. That's where it begins. And we walk in that and we grow in that and we cultivate that in our own lives. And all of a sudden, boop, it's there. And that's what we need. That's what we need. And John wants the church to get it. He wants the church to understand that this is available to anyone. You don't need some secret group or secret truth, which was going on in the, or some secret, oh, this, this book, you know. You you just need Jesus. You just need the gospel, the simple gospel, and allow that to transform. What's the gospel? We have all sinned against God and rebelled against him. And God went after us. He went after us and he gave everything just so he could have us, just so he could be with us, just so that we could abide in him. He gave absolutely everything, his own son, to be nailed to a cross just for me. And Jesus rose again. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. And that's for you. That's for every one of us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel, the greatness of the gospel. We thank you that you this morning in Jesus are laying before us a banqueting table. Just a table. And you're inviting us to come and sit 
and to feast on your faithfulness and to feast on your goodness. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And Lord, I I just pray over everyone uh, in this body that you would just increase our personal, individual fellowship with you and that we'd discover new things just by being with you. New depths of your love. So we invite you into that continued process. We thank you that it is a reality, that it is your wish and your desire so that our joy might be full. Praise you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Can we all stand up? And we're going to...